So uh, those three laws ended up getting changed and we kind of reset ourselves back to getting into, you know, changing more laws and seeing what we can do to make a difference because somebody's got to be the the spokesperson. Somebody's got to get out there and kind of get the ball rolling, I guess you could say. So yeah. I guess that's us. <laughs> and I'd say more than that, you're getting the ball rolling and then like throwing it through the door and <laughs> kicking the door open. Not, yeah, yeah, bust it through. Hell yeah. <laughs> Let me throw my super cape. Hi, Jillian here, and this is Let the Women Do the Work, the podcast where we look at true crime from the perspectives of the women involved. Now, a harsh reality in some of these stories we cover is that women are disproportionately victims of several kinds of violence, most notably sexual assault. The World Health Organization said just last year that one in three women experience physical or sexual violence in their lifetimes. This number is disproportionately high for women of color. And in lower income nations, that number is closer to one in two. And instead of just acknowledging this for what it is, the true crime media world often dangles it around as bait. Look at these terrible things that have happened. Imagine them happening to you. That would really be the end of things, right? Look, the victim trope is real, turning stories of survival into cautionary tales. But survivors of sexual violence don't simply disappear into devastating circumstances. They're you. They're me. They're people with lives before and after their trauma. So on this episode, we'll explore the expansive journey of one such woman, how she took her experience and changed the better part of a country for it. My name is Lisa Lott Lublin, born and raised in Las Vegas, been here ever since. Uh, I'm an educator. I've worked through all kinds of systems to get my degree and become a teacher, and now I'm a nationally board certified teacher. I uh, got a few more years to go, and then I'll be in retirement. Woohoo! <laughs> Excited about that. <laughs> I'm going to retire, and then I'm going to go and teach in the private sector so that I can still. I'm not ready to stop completely. <laughs> tireless. Yeah, you're tireless. Uh, Lisa's energy emanated from the screen when I had the pleasure of speaking to her. She told me she considers herself a fun teacher with a positive outlook. She even calls her kids her little Brussels sprouts. There's a little bit of, you know, I'm a sexual assault survivor, and there's a shame that floats with that. So I had my issues. I still have some issues with that. I mean, it's not, I don't think it'll ever go away. A lot of it comes up each time that school starts and I get a new set of kids. I see kids every semester. I'll get kids who walk up to me and go, hey, I saw you on Dr. Phil, you know, or they go, hey, did you have something to do with Bill Cosby? So it kind of comes back and then I have to struggle and go, do not feel shame, Lisa. You have to look at the good and the positive, what you're doing for that kid who's actually coming up and saying something to you. You know what I mean? If that kid hopefully never has to be in a situation like this, but if that kid, you know, you made that change for that kid. So what I do, what I do at school at least is when a student approaches me and they start talking about the situation, I immediately go into, yes, this was a part of my life, but guess what I did with it? You know, I went out, I've changed three laws in the state of Nevada. I've helped influence others to change laws in Colorado and California. I said, you know, I'm out there making sure that these kinds of things don't happen to anybody else. And if it does, they have some sort of way to help themselves get over the trauma that comes along with it. You heard her. Three laws changed. And I don't know about you, but to me, the very idea of that sounds next to impossible. In the wake of a national reckoning around Bill Cosby's history of sexual misconduct, Lisa led the charge on changing how long survivors have to report, sue, or see about their sexual assault evidence kit. All key support infrastructure. But before all of this, it first had to hit her that what happened to her in a hotel suite in Las Vegas at the hands of America's revered father figure actually happened to her? I think that I almost immediately kind of went into shock because you have to remember that I didn't know until 2014 what had actually taken place. So for years from 1989 till 2014, I still 
felt like this was a great person, that I could still see this person as the Bill Cosby that I grew up with watching on Sesame Street and the person that I knew from the Jell-O pudding commercials and the person who reminded me of my own father initially. Hey, girl, pros is here. Check out my locks. Your hair looks so amazing. Look, I just want to say this. What? I was learning that pros, it's customized hair care that's, like, customized to the person, but, like, really specifically. So they ask you a couple questions to help you figure out the formula for your hair. Yeah. And they ask you, like, really interesting things, like where you live. Right. Some of the things are very common, right? Like, how long is your hair? Is it wavy? What's the texture? Is there color involved? And I'm like, yes, there is color involved. (laughs) But they also ask where you live because they take the air quality into account. Oh, no. So I was like, oh no, I'm Was a your Yorker. bottle for New York very heavy? They were just like, oh, you live in a high pollution area, girl. But that's another thing that I love about pros. Like, they are thinking about things that I wouldn't. Uh-huh. Like, I always assume like, okay, so I have color in my hair. I have to, you know, no sulfates, no this, no that. And pros is all about that. But little things about where you live and also like how stressed you are, uh-huh. if you're outside a lot. Like, all wow. these little things. And I'm like, I live in New York and I'm stressed. Oh, I'm a cliche. But I'm going to have great hair thanks to pros. But that's the thing. They take all of your answers and they determine what unique blend of ingredients should be in every product for your custom routine. Yeah, so they gave me a shampoo, a conditioner, and then a moisturizing hair mask. Oh my lord. I feel very, very fancy. Also, if you're not 100% positive pros is the best hair care you've ever had, they will take the products back, no questions asked. Yep. So fam, pros is the healthy hair regimen with your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and get 15% off your first order today. Go to pros.com slash work. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash work for your free in-depth hair consultation and 15% off. I hope the air pollution is good where you live. Yeah, but guess what? (laughs) Even if it's bad, pros has your back. (laughs) The stories that revealed who Bill Cosby really was got whispered around through the early aughts, but 2014 was a bombshell year for this collective story. The first 13 women, of what would become 60 accusers total, came forward with allegations of rape and sexual misconduct. Op-eds from survivors hit the likes of the Washington Post and Vanity Fair. A video of comedian Hannibal Burris roasting Cosby for these allegations went viral, spinning the conversation into national reckoning with America's dad, and much, much more. I can talk down to you because I had a successful sitcom. Yeah, it was great women, Bill Cosby, so... Bill Cosby, the all-American dad, the all-American husband, the person, Mr. Jello, that everybody loves. I can name off 12 right now that I know of. They were also drugged and raped by Bill Cosby. Raped. The man once beloved as America's dad for his role on The Cosby Show, now reviled by many as the accusations just keep coming. I had to inform these women that it was too late for them to file a lawsuit against Mr. Cosby because of the statute of limitations. So you come forward now to talk about this again. Does it... it I'll tell you why. Yeah. I'm doing this It's because it's the right thing to do and it happened to me and this is the true story. It was Janice Dickinson's appearance on Entertainment Tonight that unlocked something in Lisa's memory. There she was, at home, watching this legendary model detail how Bill Cosby allegedly coerced, drugged, and raped her. Lisa, as a young 23-year-old model in Las Vegas, was contacted by an agent of Cosby's for acting lessons back in 1989. She was told he wanted to mentor her. Thrilled and excited for the opportunity, she met him at a Hilton hotel in Las Vegas. They connected, met each other's families, took photos. But then, once that bed of familiarity was set, he invited her back to his room which she remembered walking to, but not much beyond that. It was a black box until she woke up at home. And it remained a black box until all these years later. Because Janice Dickinson's story sounded familiar. And that feeling of going, well, what she's telling me in her story, is that what happened when I was passed out? Or when I, you know, now I realize I was passed out. Didn't even realize I was passed. I mean, I thought I thought I drank and I didn't remember, you know, and I went home. You know, and I was the idiot for it. But once I heard what she said, it resonated and I didn't want to feel the resonation. You know, I didn't want it to be there.
So it took me at least 24, 36 hours to really acknowledge that I had been in this situation with him before I was really like going, I understand this now. It makes sense. I mean, it was literally just this toy of back and forth. One minute, no, 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 no. The next minute, could it be? And then no, 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 no. So you just fight back over and over again going, you know, my body and my my mind and my soul can't handle this. Once I, I started to get it, that's when I was crashing. It was, I don't know what to do with myself. My nervous system was just blowing up. You know, my stomach was turning and I, I couldn't control myself in the sense of I've lived all my life being this person who's had control and plans and I know what I want to do and where I want to go and what my goals are in life and I had been setting my tracks in place and I've been doing my thing for years and years and years and then it was chaos I don't know how to operate chaos emotionally in myself and it literally felt like something was eating me from the inside to the outside just gnawing at my body and breaking it down from the inside out. Lisa spiraled into a depression. She described it as a loss of self. This news hit her in such a disorienting way. I mean, imagine having your memories come together around a confusing moment in your young life at the same time as so many other people. And the person who caused it, who was such an important entertainer to your community specifically. And that was one of her first thoughts when this all settled in. How do I tell him? Is he going to know that I'm aware of now what has happened and that, you know, I I want this to be in his face kind of a thing. Like, you need to know that I know. You didn't know that I didn't know before, but it's important for me to let you know that I know. But not only was she unable to communicate this to him, she was unable to communicate this to the legal powers that be as well. When she and her husband, Ben, worked up the courage to go to police and report the incident, they were met with apathy. The statute of limitations, which was only four years in Nevada at the time, had long run up. She was too late. Then I was really distraught because now the opportunity for me to fight for myself as just a human being to go, wait a minute, someone treats you out of line, you go, no, that's not acceptable. I can't even do that. You know, I can't even call this man up and curse him out on the phone because I can't reach him. (laughs) So it was hard because. It just felt like there was nothing. There was no end game. There was no ability to resolve. So that was hard because my husband, Benjamin, was seeing me deteriorate. He was feeling, I got to do something for my wife. I have to find a way. And let me tell you, he went through a whole lot of ways he thought he could fix things. And I said, no, you cannot fix things those ways. I know you're a man. I know you want to be a man. And I know you want to take care of business, but that's not going to work. So we kind of found another way. And uh, he showed up one morning. He was getting ready for work. And he came into the room and he kind of woke me up and he's like, we have to do something. And the statute of limitations had kind of sat in his mind, you know, since we had met with the detective. And he was like, there's got to be some way to change this. And so we started talking about it and saying, well, what if we went, you know, and tried to change the laws on statute of limitations? This doesn't make any sense. Why would you have four years to report something that's so vile, an individual barely even deals with it in four years, let alone, I'm going to now go announce it to everybody. You know, it takes time. That's it. That The statute of limitations, that's what we need to do. That's our goal. That's our mission. And we need to get on this as soon as possible. I lit up like a candle. It was fireworks just that morning, I was already out of the bed. I'm walking him to, I'm standing outside while he's going to work and I'm, I'm going, okay, what do we do? You know, what do we look at first and how do we get this going? And it just snowballed after that. They started where many would. They made a petition on change.org. 
Then they looked into the state legislature, sent emails, tried to spread the word, and find a way in. And you have to remember, too, that I wasn't excited to tell everybody that I was part of this Cosby situation. So we didn't explain everything about Cosby. We just talked about changing the laws and how antiquated they were. So our mission wasn't to blast him as much as it was, we've got to make a change for this because this is just not right. And this was something we felt like we had control over. We didn't feel like we had control over the situation with him. Soon after they began this process, Lisa went on Dr. Phil, ushering her story into the public eye. Joining the chorus of survivors was huge for her, and it came with a lot of attention. I noticed myself getting a little dizzy. Bill had sat down on the edge of the couch. He said, come over here and have a seat. He had his legs open, and when I sat down, I was sitting down in between his legs with my back to his crotch. He started to stroke my hair back in a petting motion like this. The last things I remember is just feeling the strokes on my head. The upside is that she connected with some incredible people in her fight at this point, including the intrepid, highly famous women's advocate and lawyer, Gloria Allred. The downside was Lisa still had some processing to do. So it was hard to put my face out there and and say, you know, I'm telling you that this happened to me, but this is what I'm going to do to make the change about it. So that was terrifying and exciting at the same time. And still all the while, just realizing every time I tell my story, I have to realize this has happened to me. And that part's hard. You know, you have to deal with those emotions that come with it and the the fear and the insecurity and the blame of yourself. And again, working through those, I don't know, stereotypes of how a person's supposed to feel or understand sexual assault. In order to get their bill taken seriously, Lisa and Ben needed to get a legislator to sponsor it. It's a tedious task, but it's doable. You have to stick to it. You have to stick with it. We weren't getting responses back. It was a little bit difficult, a little discouraging. And we were like, what else do we have but time? So we felt like if they don't get back to us now, we just keep going and just keep going. Because again, we're going to work every day. We're coming home every day. There was room in our lives to say, we can continue to fight for this. If it takes five years, it doesn't matter because the point is, We have to keep going until someone listens, someone hears us, and we make a difference. And they got a legislator, Irene Bustamante Adams, who went on to work tirelessly in support of this bill. According to Lisa, it became her main focus. And then in 2005, Lisa, Ben, and Gloria testified to the whole Nevada state legislature. The vote was unanimous. Then they realized what they had in front of them, which was really incredible. But... I think they really listened to our testimony. We did not use Bill Cosby's name when we testified. This was all based in, there's a problem with this law and this needs to be changed. And these are the reasons why it needs to be changed. We had support. So Ben and I, before testimony, we rallied the judges association who came and testified the Metropolitan Police Department, the Nye County Police Departments. I mean, all these counties, the Nevadans Against Domestic Violence. I mean, we rallied. We had so many organizations that supported the change of this law. And it was wonderful because the police really explained to them that a lot of times that a perpetrator, they do this more than to one victim. This is not typically isolated incidents. And with having the statute not be four years, it gives them an opportunity to be able to run back through previous cases or accusations, and it gives them some meat and potatoes to work with, which was really great to hear that they were so on board with this. They were like, oh, we support this 100%. So it ended up with a unanimous vote. We got to go back and meet with Governor Bryan at the time. He was going to sign the bill. Gloria came. Many of the people that testified showed up. The police department was there from Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. Wolfson was there, uh, who's our district attorney. It was 
remarkable. And again, this change did not affect my case in any way. There was nothing that I, I still, there's nothing that I can do at this point that would change anything. But to know that this is going to change it for my children and for the kids that I work with every day at school, that for the state of Nevada, they have a chance. And anyone who visits the state of Nevada, one of the things I thought was really scary, the detective in 2014, when, when I first went to see the detective, he talked about how often these situations happen in Las Vegas because of the nightclubs, the celebrity. I mean, there needs to be something just for this situation. You know what I mean? I don't know what it is. If I figure it out anytime soon, trust me, (laughs) Ben and I will be down there going, this is how we remedy this situation. I said, you know, I'm out there making sure that these kinds of things don't happen to anybody else. And if it does, they have some sort of way to help themselves get over the trauma that comes along with it. So, you know, time goes by and Ben and I start to settle into our life a little bit, feeling good. Things are almost feeling like they're, you know, they'll never be normal, but that feeling where it feels like it comes back to normal. And we can feel this itching in our gut again, this, this eating, but it wasn't the same because now we had something that we knew that we could fight for. And it's this, and, and, and I say that over and over again, because that itching feeling goes, something is wrong. Something needs to change. At least I know how or what I can do to change it. Hey girl, StoryWorth is here. I love StoryWorth. Explain to the people what it is. Here's the thing. Father's Day is coming up. This is a great idea for a gift yes. for your father. Yes. But it's also like for a father figure or really anyone in your life. Absolutely. That is a mentor or any kind of like older figure in your life. So they are an online service. It helps you and this person connect through sharing stories and memories and it preserves them for years. So every week, fam, StoryWorth emails this person a thought-provoking question of your choice from a vast pool of options. And each unique prompt ask questions you never thought of like what is one of your fondest childhood memories or have you ever feared for your life like that time your parents survived the son of Sam (laughs) yeah they survived New York in the 70s so the answer to that would be like yes 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 so it's really great because after one year StoryWorth compiles all those questions and stories including photos and then they give you this beautiful keepsake book so you can share it with just yourself or your family so it's a great idea for Father's Day but it's a great idea for really any old day look I know we're talking about Father's Day we actually did this for my mom a few years ago and to get to see all these pictures compiled with these stories in this beautiful book. It's such a great gift, like, for you, but for everyone. I know. It's, yeah, it's also really a great gift for you. You get to learn yeah. about the people in your life. So give all the fathers or people in your life a meaningful gift you can both cherish for years to come with StoryWorth. Right now, fam, for a limited time, you can save $10 on your first purchase when you go to StoryWorth.com slash work. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash work to save $10 on your first purchase. Storyworth.com slash work. Get the tea, right? Get the tea. <laughs> Scalding. And we're back. Before the break, Lisa reached her goal of changing the law that prevented her from getting justice in her own case. But that was just criminally. So she set out with her husband, Ben, to get the civil law to match. And from there, things snowballed into yet another law. Again, in this cruel, often corrupt system we have on our hands, changing laws seems like an Olympic task. But Lisa and Ben, they were on a roll, essentially, because all these laws are connected by the same fault, a lack of consideration for survivors. Luckily, I feel like because of the Me Too movement, because everything was coming out at that time, people were really listening. The legislative individuals were listening as well. The assembly members were listening. So we started working on the next bill, which was the civil one. And that was Assembly Bill 145. When Benjamin did his testimony for the first bill, we brought up a lot of statistics. A person who sexually assaults another individual and decides they want to report themselves, turn themselves in. Of course, after the four-year statute, the police can't even arrest them. Even if the person stands there and says, yes, I did it, it's my fault, I did this to this person, arrest me. They would not arrest that person. It blows your mind to say, 
You mean to tell me a person can come in and say, uh, I've assaulted 15 women. It's past four years on all 15 of them, but I need you to arrest me. Well, we can't do that. I mean, like the, the, the perpetrator is protected so much more than the victims and survivors are. Absolutely. To a nauseating degree. Absolutely. And everyone was on board with this, naturally. If you're going to have a criminal statute that's 20 years, you should have a civil one of the same duration. And another thing. Rape kits at the time were just, you know, stacking up in the corner and they weren't being tested. And he brought that up and really kind of laid that out. And they had a conversation during, you know, our testimony about this. And before you know it, there was the change for Assembly Bill 97, where they every rape test kit would be gone through. They would check every single one. And what they do is they keep in contact with the victim. The victim gets to know that their rape kit is being tested when it's being tested and, you know, a tracking system for it. Because the thing is, you know, maybe you don't get that person the first time, but maybe you get them the second or the third time. And all of that will make a difference if you have it. But, you know, them sitting up on shelves is a disservice to any of the survivors of sexual assault. Yeah, I mean, you hear about these things and I mean, it feels impossible like to change a law and then change three. It just feels in a system that is really not working at all. I mean, the the fact that anyone was even open to this idea to me is amazing. And the fact that you, it feels like you're almost like chasing that high, like, okay, we got one, like, what else can we do? It's like the this domino effect, right? Yeah. And that's exactly how it feels. It's, let's do it again. We know what we've got to do. We've got to get involved. We know how we got to go. But there's always a little chain, you know, you got to take it a little different here. You got to go a little different way there. But it makes my heart feel alive. You know what I mean? In that part, if I could say that, you know, what happened in 2014, knowing about this, what, you know, what had happened in 1989, a little part of your heart and your soul, you know, dies off. And in order to give it life again, this is the vehicle for us. This was the way for us to bring that part of me back to life and to nurture it and, you know, give it a good blood flow. But I needed that. And I still feel like I need it. There are moments and times when I feel like, I'm not doing anything, you know, I, I can't let myself fall back or, you know, because the pain is there, even if it's not directly in my f front of my head, where I'm thinking about it every day, it creeps up on you. It's like a bad smell. And you're like, I know that smell. And I can't let that, you know, keep growing. It's like an infection. And if I keep let it growing, it's going to start eating away at me. And that's what I think that drive is to say, all right, what can we do now? How do we get started? What's the little parts that we start working on? What can I give of myself to do this today? Another thing that propels Lisa forward is connecting with fellow Cosby survivors. Around the time she was working on getting that first bill passed, a private Facebook group formed for all of them to swap stories and healing strategies. She described that space as a big explosion of emotions. Ask me to fight for myself and eh, you get, you know, 60%. Ask me to fight for somebody else, you get 150%. And that's what happened to me is I turned this and I said, I need to fight. And so she did. Eventually, Andrea Constand, who went on to be the one person Cosby was convicted of assaulting, caught wind of Lisa's work. At that time, Lisa was also busy forging connections with fellow survivors in Arizona, California, and Colorado. One was a woman named Beth Farrier, and she also saw Lisa's work. And she was like, hey, I want to do the same thing in my state. Any advice? So Benjamin would sit for hours because he had a little more talk time available for him with me at work. I couldn't do it. But he would sit for hours with her discussing the details of what to do, where to go, who to talk to. Don't give up. When someone doesn't you know, speak to you, just go in and look for somebody else or, you know, keep pressing them. So she did. And she worked and worked. And before you know it, you know, she had, she was getting her bill written. 
And yeah, I know, right? It's you incredible. get so excited. Yes. You chills and you're going, this is incredible. And I can't believe it. And you still need that person, which Beth was from Colorado. So you still need that person that's doing what, you know, who lives there, who's living in it, talking to people. And that's exactly what she did. She went in there and she took over and she did not take no for an answer. And she just pushed through. And before you know it, she was getting her bill signed and it was 20 years and it was remarkable. And the women of California, then they started. So we started with the same conversations. Look, this is what you got to do. You got to find this person and you got to get this person on your side. Don't give up. And to think California got it abolished. And Gloria told them it would be basically like, you know, Uh, having a snowball freeze in hell if they would get abolished in California and they did it. California was hard and they did it. I mean, the chills that go through your spine. I don't know if you can see them through the camera, (laughs) but I can see your reaction because I'm feeling feeling the same way. I even talking about it, it's like, man, this is remarkable. And we, we're all everyday women We're all everyday families and men that just don't want to see this be an issue for anyone else. And again, this doesn't change anything for the Cosby survivors. And soon enough, these women and Lisa would take their fight across the country to Philadelphia to tell their stories in a whole new way. Hey, girl, Green Chef is here. You know my refrigerator is stocked full of Green Chef right now? Right. Well, here's the thing. You know we love HelloFresh. Exactly. And so Green Chef, they're partners. Right. So we go back and forth between the Green Chef and the HelloFresh. The reason we choose the Green Chef is because I have dietary restrictions. Right. Green Chef is like HelloFresh, except they have meals for every kind of lifestyle. So gluten-free, paleo, vegan, vegetarian. We do the gluten-free stuff because I need that, and it works out so great. If you're looking for carb-conscious, gluten-free, plant-based, or calorie-conscious options, and you want to have really delicious delicious, balanced yes. meals that you cook yourself and then feel really proud of yourself for cooking, Green Chef has flavorful, feel-good recipes that you're going to love. And get this, fam. It's premium and organic stuff. So we're talking seasonal produce, premium proteins, and organic ingredients you can trust. Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well. And just like HelloFresh, Green Chef, you're saving money, you're saving the planet. So yes. with Green Chef, you're reducing your food waste by at least 25% versus grocery shopping. Yeah, so if you're looking to eat a little bit healthier or if you have like dietary restrictions, like we do, Green Chef is the best way to go. Right. So go to greenchef.com slash work130 and use code work130 to get, guess what, $130 off plus free shipping. That is so much money. Again, go to greenchef.com slash work130 and use code work130 to get $130 off plus free shipping. You guys, you're going to love this. I promise. Yeah. It's the number one meal kit for eating well. Of course, they're going to love it. Obviously. In 2017, Andrea Constant finally faced Bill Cosby in court, which she'd done before in 2005, civilly. That trial ended in a settlement. This criminal trial, though, in a hung jury. Lisa followed the whole thing from home, and amidst her disappointment was a lot of anxiety. After the mistrial was declared, Lisa sensed her fight would continue, only now in this new direction. That she'd get involved in some way, whether ready for it or not. After all, she's connected with Andrea, and her advocacy work was known. Then we got the call from the detectives. They flew out. They interviewed me here in my home. And Benjamin's like, they're going to use you. He says, I know they're going to use you. They're going to use you. Everything about your story supports, you know, what's happening with this court case. So they're going to use you. Well, what made me nervous was I started thinking, oh, my gosh, what if I start remembering Let's say I've suppressed the memories and, you know, I've kept them in closed door in my mind and it wasn't just the drugs because the drugs cause you to forget, you know, you don't know what happened. And I'm like, what if this is happening? So I started anxiety. So it was right back as if it was 2014, 2015 again. And the anxiety is starting and I'm freaking out and I don't know what to do with myself. And I call Ben one day from work and I said, Ben, I said, you got to get me a counselor now because I can't take that. I can't handle it. I don't know what to do with myself. And by the time I was home from work, he had had a counselor and I was making an appointment. So I go and see her and I'm explaining to her, I said, 
what if I remember? What if I start seeing these images and, you know, and I know how much this, this is devastating for people to have these kinds of memories. Would it ruin my life, you know, to have that memory? And the more the counselor spoke with me, she said, you know, the nature of the drugs, this is most likely the drugs. It's not going to come back because you don't remember. And then I remembered that growing up as a child, you know, you have traumatic situations here and there. I blocked that out. I remember my sisters telling me, oh, you remember when this happened? And then I go, no, I don't remember because, you know, we can only handle what we can handle. So I was like, okay, well, as long as if I've suppressed it or the drugs, whatever, as long as it's still behind that closed door, she said, this shouldn't be an issue. And then she got a call. Ben was right. They wanted her to testify. So from there, Lisa began thinking about the pragmatics. How would she say what she needed to say? How would she present herself? And how would she react to sitting across from her attacker after all these years? This was her opportunity to finally tell him, hey, I know what happened to me, and I know you did it. She actually spoke with a friend of hers who was with her on one of her visits with Cosby all those years ago. Because after the incident, Lisa continued contact with Cosby. Remember, she wouldn't clock that experience until over 20 years later. This friend of hers named Catherine came along with her on a trip to California, where Cosby had invited her, presumably for more acting lessons. And the funny part was, and if you think about the situation, when I showed up with Catherine, he almost dismissed me. He had me drive from Nevada to come and see him in California. And when I get there, he treated me like, oh, okay, nice to see you. Well, I got work to do. And I remember Catherine saying, and she's like, I never understood why he dismissed you the way he did. And she's the one who made me realize how dismissive it was. It was like, just go away. And it made sense because he didn't have the opportunity to have me alone to drug me again. You came with backup this time. Exactly. So it didn't work. And that was one of the last times I'd seen him. You know, she was there in my life when a lot of this had happened. So she was a possible person to testify as well to support my end of the truth. And she started saying, Lisa, you really don't need to worry about what you have to say because you only have one thing to say. There's nothing, I can't say what I don't know. I only have my truth. You know what I'm saying? This is what happened to me. These are the things that I remember. This is how it played out for me. There isn't anything else. Because, you know, you watch TV and you see these prosecutors trying to rip people's stories apart. And it's like, well, I'm sorry, but there's nothing to rip apart because I can't tell you what I don't know. Lisa said this conversation was huge for her. Once she recognized the simple power of her truth and her ability to tell it, she was calm. She was ready. So the retrial. So they basically call us, let us know that we're going to, or I'm going to testify. And we fly into Philadelphia and they put us in a hotel with the other survivors. And Janice Dickinson is there. And it's so cute because Janice Dickinson is walking around like a celebrity and she doesn't really know who we are necessarily. So she's like, hello, her lips. And, you know, she's got a twist in her head and, you know, she's got her little strut. So we start walking up the hallway and there's media taking pictures and we're walking up the hallway and we get to the end and then they walk us into the courtroom and I get up on the stand and I can just feel myself shaky, nervous. I had a little bit of excitement in the sense that this is my turn, you know, to just, it's my turn. Here's my truth. It was like, I'm going to face the person that did this and I'm going to be able to show him I don't put up with this. This was not okay. This is not acceptable in any kind of way. And I hold you 100% accountable for it. And I'm going to let you know that, you know, as definite and finite as I can, you're going to know this was your fault. You did this. You're a piece of shit. So the uh, attorneys start in. And the funny part was the attorneys just 
They didn't have any meat. They're grabbing at straws and they're trying to come up with things. And they took an interview that someone had done on the radio that read my information that I didn't even have the interview with the person. And they muddled the details of what I said. And they're trying to question me on that. And I'm saying to the attorney, I'm saying, well, I don't know because I didn't say those things. You'd have to ask the person who did that interview because it wasn't me. And they still go back to the pages and try and shuffling, you know, they're flipping pages on the podium. Like, oh, I've just got stacks of information here to go over. And it's like, well, you go over your stacks, but when you actually look at testimony that I've made, you know, we can talk about the situation. So they pulled up what I said when I testified for the legislature and they tried to piece apart what I said for the legislature. And I was like, well, I wrote it. So you can't really piece it apart because I remember what I wrote. And she's trying so hard to find some place. And and it was like, I'm sorry. I mean, it's just like Kathy said, I only have one truth. I changed the laws to change the way that these situations are are happening so that people can have more recourse. So there was no monetary gain. There's nothing outside of this person did this to me and I want them accountable, even if it's just me being able to testify in their face in a courtroom and hopefully the testimony the jury believes, which they did, and you end up in jail where you're supposed to be. That's what I got. So so take it. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. So it was uh, a double-edged sword in the sense that it was satisfying to be there, and it was sad because you had to be there for the circumstances. But it was a healing process, which was great because there was no way for them— They. I mean, they did it with some of the other women. Oh, well, you know, you were partying and you wanted to go to his room and you took the drugs and none of my situation was like that. They couldn't even try to rearrange it that way. You know what I mean? So they just didn't have any merit to try to tear me apart. And they looked like fools doing it. It was so bad. And so two days later on April 26th, 2018, Cosby was convicted of three counts of aggravated indecent assault. He'd get three to 10 years for drugging and sexually assaulting Constand, in large part thanks to the testimony of the five other women who shared their experiences. They were all there at the sentencing hearing. And Cosby is laughing. He is chuckling as if this meant nothing to him. But it also tells you his state of mind. And we're sitting in the seats and Janice Dickinson starts to get really perturbed because he's chuckling and she starts like throwing out little comments and they need to put the handcuffs on him at this point. So they ask him to stand. He's rolling up his cuffs. So he didn't like that we were watching him getting handcuffed. So he tried to get them to excuse us from the seats and leave the courtroom because everyone was leaving the courtroom, but we were like, no, we want to sit here and watch him get handcuffed. I mean, this is a part of what we've been fighting for the whole time. Of course. Yes. So his little crew of people, his lawyers stand as a shield to block the view of him getting handcuffed, but we can see in between the cracks. So as we're standing there, Janice has been spitting out a few things here and there. She's making these comments like, oh, oh, my God, this awful, you know, she's going on. Well, the judge kind of tells her to settle down. So she settles down and Wyatt is eyeballing me. Wyatt was Cosby's publicist. Lisa actually ran into him on her lunch break after testifying. Ben approached him at the restaurant. They had some words. Things got a little heated. It got to the point where Gloria Allred had to step in and tell everyone to take a breath, have some water, and just eat their lunch. Seriously, it was a whole thing. Litigation is chaos, people. Yeah, he's like giving me these looks. And he ends up like blowing a kiss at me, like he's saying, almost like an F you blowing a kiss. What? And I know. Uh. And And I thought to myself, well, if you can do that, I said, I said, 
is that sexual assault? Are you blowing kisses at? Oh my God. And he turned around so quick and puckered his behind with his tight little butt wad butt. And he was done. And I was like, I cannot believe that he had the gall to try to blow me like a, you know, an F you kiss. Seriously. So that was it. We came out and got bombarded with the news reporters. It was pouring rain. And I remember I was standing there and Gloria's doing her speech. And my brother calls from Sweden. And my husband says, you one's on the phone. And I was like, oh my God. I just left the reporters and I went over and got on the phone with him. And it felt so good to just talk with family, you know, for a moment. It was a beautiful thing. And it just went on from there. It was such a sigh of relief and absolute exhaustion because emotionally it was super exhausting, but it felt good to breathe. Like I could just breathe a little bit clearer. Something I really admire about Lisa is her incredible ability to hold conflicting emotions in mind and heart. A trait, though admirable, that many survivors of trauma are forced to adopt. She was happy about this victory. And something she juggles and explains really well is how she, as a Black woman, reflected on who this man was to her over time. This man did what he did. It didn't matter for me. You know what I mean? He did what he did. End of story. There's nothing else to discuss. That's why when people were bringing up, oh, most of the women that he assaulted were, you know, white women. And it was like, have you really looked at us? Have you stopped and looked at the 60 that are there? Because they're not. (laughs) He didn't have a racial issue with women. He just assaulted women. Didn't matter. If it was a woman and she was there and he wanted to do what he wanted to do, He went for it. So it didn't make any sense for people to try to place this. But I understand that people were so caught up with, this is Bill Cosby. I watched him on Electric Company. You know, I watched Fat Albert. I still have moments. Just the other day we were, because the Showtime special is out and they show how you fall in love with Bill Cosby as a generation of us growing up, how you fell in love with him. And I'm giggling about some of the things that he's doing in the excerpts that they're showing. I don't want to beat myself up because they're funny. They are funny. It's funny stuff. And I don't want to beat myself up because I remember laughing as a child for this. It was, it's always been funny to me. And I didn't want to beat myself up over the fact that I'm going to have these emotions where he does make me laugh. And then these emotions of going, but I know what a monster he is too. I know the truth. He was a character on a show when he's out in the public eye. And I'm laughing with the character, not with who Bill Cosby is. And that's how I'm separating the two. Yes, I have moments that I enjoy the character. And there's moments when I see the character and I can only see Bill Cosby. And then I hate him. You know what I mean? I hate what he did. I hate that he can't acknowledge his flaws and his sickness. You know, but that's his problem. I have to deal with, you know, don't be mad at myself because I did laugh or I still say, you know, school on Saturday is no class. I'm a teacher. (laughs) I have to say that. You know what I mean? I grew up with that. So it is a fine line and it is difficult. And some of my most precious relationships with the survivors of Cosby, they won't find that funny. It's not okay for them. And I think that's why I kind of fall in this in-between kind of a place because initially I don't have those pieces in my memory to directly say, I hate you because I, I know that you did this part. You know what I mean? I hate what you did because I know from other women's stories what you probably did to me too. You know what I'm saying? You piece of shit. Sorry. Piece of shit. Yes. No, you say piece it. Piece of shit. So I get that. I totally get it. But at the same time, I need to live 
I need to live happy and I need to live fulfilled and I need to smile and giggle every day and I need to feel good when I'm in my classroom and I need to crack a joke with my kids even if they don't totally understand it, <laughs> you know, but they see me giggle. You're claiming and, it as your own. Absolutely. You know, you're claiming yeah, it. Yeah, you know, it, it was my childhood and it was positive for me. But it is, it, like I said, it is difficult to to balance at times, you know. I still got to go back. I still got to work on my head and keep my head straight and keep myself strong and, and know when I can. You know, I still have episodes where I break down. It's usually in the shower where I can just let it all out, you know, wash yeah, my face. I love a good shower cry. <laughs> yes. So yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, driving to work, you know, or driving home from work in case, you know, I don't have too much mess on my face, but driving home from work, you know, and, and I've learned to let those moments out. These conversations, let me let those moments out too. Little pieces here and there. Talking with my other survivors, having relationships with my other survivors, give me those moments to keep letting the steam out. And I think that's survival in itself, you know. Just two years into his sentence, Cosby got out in 2021. The Supreme Court of Pennsylvania overturned his conviction, citing that an immunity deal from Andrea Constance's 2005 civil case had not been acknowledged. Thanks to a technicality and a flaw in the system, he'd essentially been protected the whole time. That is the system not working. Good thing Lisa's efforts outlive all that, though. There are plenty of ways to support survivors of sexual assault. You can start by checking out RAIN, the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. And if you or a loved one are coping in the wake of a sexual assault, give their hotline a call at 1-800-656-4673. There's someone to talk to at the other end 24 hours a day. Let the Women Do the Work is a production from the Obsessed Network, and it's produced by Becca Gregorio, Natalie Grillo, Patrick Hines, and me, Jillian Pensavalli. Our editor and mixer is Jennifer Swatek. Find me on Twitter at Jillian with a G. And remember, just let the women do the work. Lisa, you're amazing. This has been absolutely unbelievably life-changing. And also like being a survivor myself, just hearing you talk. And this was, I didn't know this was going to be so helpful for me as well. Right? So, thank you. <laughs> it really, it really does make an impact. Yeah. To just have that conversation and know and to see someone else's fight and go, oh my gosh. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Fight. So thank you. 